Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro. David Martino, John Copenhagen, and Al Warren, Sunday's Al Warren, Mr. David North Rose Killer Martino <laughs> is back. I'm back. Yeah. I'm back with all the names. All the names. And you posted all that review about the uh, new new Jason movie. Oh, yeah. The Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. I do the same thing. Yeah. They're all the same. Halloween Turn them upside ends. down. They look the same. Halloween ends. Can we be so lucky? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it won't. <laughs> I, this is going to be going on long past our lifetimes. Mm. You know. Yes. Uh, another atrocious movie <laughs> you know and you were saying it's not e- so there's not even a lot of really good killing at it either no good good first scene yeah first scene has a nice bone crunching scene but then after that it's kind of well why didn't they just do that and then end it i know that'd be perfect <laughs> put it on Roll tiktok credits. yeah <laughs> put it on tiktok and run it as a video that's that's I, perfect you're a genius al i am i tell you i need to be running this 
I'll make Jason or Michael Myers, whatever. They're all the same. They're the same, yes. You know, it's just the same thing, mask or whatever. (laughs) Anyway. Well, COVID's just about done. I've just about won. That's right. Just about. You sound you sound like you got some energy and you're ready to rock. Oh, it's just the caffeine. Don't 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 buy into that. But yeah, <laughs> no, the ears the ears popped and and things sort of are getting better. And, you know, so so no more of that. Okay, don't be passing around any more of that nastiness. Okay, that's right. No more uh, bad. No more infecting you, well. Yeah. Well. Anyway. From well, you know, at, yeah. At this point. Um, we talked about nastiness and bad horror, so we've got a guest <laughs> that writes horror. And uh, he, anyway, so we'll we'll bring him out because he's got a new book out, and uh, the new book uh, is called "A Child Alone with Strangers." It's a novel. So, Mr. Philip Rakasi, thank you for being here. Hey, Alan, thank you for having me. We haven't had you yet. Oh. <laughs> I was trying not to giggle the whole time you guys were talking because I didn't want to interrupt. But well, you know, we've had we've had people hang up on us. <laughs> so you know, let's go with it. Right. Uh, so what's going on in Philip's life? Like, what is so bad about your life that you have to write such horror stories? Um. Nothing, man. I'm good. You know, uh, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm, I write horror for the, for the thrill of it. Um, I find it incredibly fun and, uh, and, uh, entertaining. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's like once you get the bug for it and once you get that first, uh, rush of reading a horror, a great horror novel or seeing a really scary horror movie, it's, it's, it's like one thing you want to emulate that. And so I, I have a lot of fun writing my my scary stories. Well, I'm not a professional at horror. Um so when I see a or read a book that's that's horror, I sort of kind of get um I I either like the real scary suspense part of it or I want the real slasher blood and guts right like you know we just talked about i know that dave does reviews he writes horror and he does reviews on these movies and you know like the new michael myers it's 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 not even it's not really a good story and it's not really a good good thing and then plus it's not even really violent or anything so i don't see any winners in this but um what to you is a good horror story like what what do you look for yeah, it's it's interesting, and I, I'm not a huge um, slasher guy either. You know, as far as the fan of that kind of stuff, I, I I watch it for fun. But yeah, I think for horror, like first, I think the genre of horror has unfortunately a lot of misconceptions <clears throat> for people who haven't read a lot of it or seen a lot of it. Movies, you know, they tend to think it's all like vampires and and serial killers or zombies or whatever. And the reality is. You know, horror is a pretty wide range of fiction, you know, on the fiction side. There's psychological horror, there's supernatural thrillers with horror elements, then there's, like, splatterpunk, and there are, you know, the slashers and the tropes like vampires and and what have you. But to me, what makes a good horror book is the same thing that makes any book good, which is that the characters have to live and breathe. The reader needs to be able to empathize with the characters, uh, the interactions with the characters need to be, you know, uh, 
you know, interesting and, and provocative. And, and then to me, the plot comes next, you know, the, the action, the scares, the thrills, all that kind of comes next. Because if you don't buy into the characters, then you're not really buying into all the other stuff, or at least not as much. And that's kind of like what you mentioned with, you know, for an example, Halloween ends is sometimes those movies don't really build the characters too much. They're just all about kind of the fun and game sort of thing. So I, personally think a good horror novel is it's got to be you know characters that you invest in and then from there you know hopefully it's a it's you know a lot of fun and a lot of crazy good supernatural stuff happens but that's where i always start with my with my books anyway well what what got you into this um writing business and i and i say that not only just writing but writing the type of books that you do write like what you know were you out killing people and you decided maybe you should write about it or where, where did this where did this come from uh <laughs> no not yet um i so far my hands are clean but um you know well you know the writing bug struck me early you know i mean um you know when i was like in third grade i remember writing a short story on an assignment and i'd never written a story before and and, you know, the response was so great. You know, the other kids loved it and the teacher loved it and all that kind of stuff. And it's sort of like, you know, when an actor goes on stage and hears applause for the first time, it's like you realize, wow, this is pretty cool and it might even be something I'm sort of good at. And that's an exciting thing when you're a young kid. So I really, you know, I really got the bug early. And I, I've been writing nonstop really ever since. And I've always read horror. Uh, you know, I grew up on Stephen King and Clive Barker and Dean Koontz and those guys. And so I was... You know, really, I really always enjoyed reading it, but I wasn't really um, writing a lot of it. You know, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I was writing, you know, what I would call non-genre fiction, you know, literary fiction, and I wasn't really getting anywhere with it. I had written three novels, I'd written 100 short stories, and I, and, um, and I wasn't getting any traction. And so around 2010, I started writing screenplays, and uh, oddly enough, I started writing for Disney, I started writing children's movies for Disney and ended up getting a credit on one of them, uh, a movie called um, Santa Puffs 2, or Santa Paws, Santa Puffs 2, I think it is. And, um, <laughs> and then I wrote a movie for Lifetime that was like more of like a ghost story. And so I started writing all these horror scripts and, um, you know, had meetings with like Blumhouse and CBS and, and nothing ever really took off. Um, and then it was just like one of those weird things. It was like this kind of epiphany. Uh, about 2014, 2015, I was like, well, shoot, man, maybe I should try writing some of this horror stuff as fiction instead of these kind of character-based uh, stories I've been writing. Um, and I wrote a short story called Mother. I had a friend of mine read it who was a horror author. Um, I sent it out to a small press. They bought it within a day. And that was my first published story. And then from there, it has been... Um, I mean, I've had my ups and downs. I've had my bumps. I get like any new career where you le you're learning on the job or learning on the go. But since then, it's been kind of this like nonstop, you know, uh, you know, ride, and it's been great. And the last year or so, things have really kind of taken off. I've got some novels coming out now, and I've made some bigger publishing deals. So it's really exciting. But that's kind of really why I started writing horror was it, it was um, it was just something that kind of like sparked between what I was doing on the screenwriting side and then what I was doing um, on the writing side kind of coming together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how it just happens all of a sudden, eh? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I can remember the moment vividly. I was working for a marketing agency at the time, and I was walking around the block during lunch, and I was talking to my wife, and, and I was frustrated because of this. I just gotten um, I just gotten a pass from CVS on a pilot that I wrote, and I was sort of frustrated and I was sort of venting about it, and I was like, I just... I go, I'm just so sick of writing, I'm so sick of writing screenplays. You know, I just, I don't love it. It's, um, it's all this work and you have to like, and then you got actors telling you to change. You got directors telling you to change. You got producers telling you to change it. And the end of the day, it's not even, you know, it's, it's not art. It's, it's a, it's structure. It's, it's a, it's a foundation for which other people to build something, which is fine. And the money's good, but it's not, it didn't feel great to write it. It wasn't inspiring me. It wasn't fulfilling me. So yeah, I was talking to my wife and I was like, and I just, I literally, it sounds ridiculous. I literally stopped in my tracks and was like, hold on a second. Why don't I start writing horror fiction and see how that goes? And it was this weird, like, lightning bulb moment. Were you high at the time? <laughs> <laughs> Not at that specific moment. No, I was at work, you know, so I was... Well, that doesn't mean anything. No, right. <laughs> uh, no, I was, I was more, no, no, no. I was just kind of like downtrodden and frustrated, but, um, but yeah. Well, how was it for you transitioning between screenplays and uh, short and long fiction? There are three completely different approaches um, to those three things. What you just mentioned, screenwriting uh, is very much a technical skill. It's very much about structure. It's about you know beats and acts and character development and it has nothing to do with you know quote unquote writing or at least writing prose it's it's dialogue and action dialogue and action dialogue and action um and short stories are approached a little bit differently short stories um are more like almost uh, spon more, much more spontaneous and they're more like a little bit stream of consciousness that so you kind of go with the flow of where your mind takes you when i start a short story i always have like an acorn of an idea and then I kind of let it grow in my brain. I kind of create. I see if I see if characters walk in the, the room and attach themselves to the, you know, to the idea. And if the characters walk in the room, then I kind of see what they're going to do. And all that stuff kind of takes place in my head. And then, and then I and then when I sit down to write, I always want to have an ending in mind. I never want to not know how it's going to end. But I, other than that, I don't really know how it's going to go. So it's basically this like core idea, and then I know where I'm. I know where the destination is, and that there's and me writing it is is, you know, the journey, and that can be, sometimes I think a story is going to be a couple thousand words, and it ends up being 20,000 words. Sometimes I think it's going to be 20,000 right. words, and it ends up being 5,000 words. So I try not to worry about that. I try just to let it flow naturally, and then deal with all that stuff in the edits. A novel is sort of an amalgam of the two. It's structure, outlining, intensive, for me, intensive outlining, making sure I know exactly what all the beats are. I, I like to have every chapter outlined. And then, because when I start writing, I don't want to worry about what's going to happen next. A novel is an amalgam of the two. I structure it heavily, like I said. I do outlining, intensive outlining, chapter by chapter. I know what I'm going to do. And then when I sit down to write, I just want to write. I don't want to think about where I'm going, what's going to happen next. I just want to focus on the writing, the prose I want to write. You know, I want it to sound good. I want the characters to live and breathe. I want to focus on the dialogue. And I can't, you know, I can't do all this stuff and think about, like, what's going to happen in the next in the story so so it's kind of a it's kind of a combination of structure and then and then the you know that's the first heavy lifting part and then and then just writing is i'm focused on the prose and making sure it sounds it sounds as good as i want it to and um and so yeah so those are the three approaches i have to those three kind of different um 
art forms. Sounds like the characters are important. Like your, what's your relationship with your characters? So, like in your new book here, where you've got the uh, a child alone with strangers, you got Henry Thorne. Um, what is your experience that you have when you're writing Henry Thorne? Well, Henry is an interesting character because he's a he's a young kid. Um, I th- he's nine in the book, and he goes through some very traumatic things um both supernaturally and not supernaturally he uh he he just you know he goes he has a you know the the book is really henry's journey and one thing that's interesting about writing kids is that they and one reason i kind of enjoy using kids sometimes in my stories is they have a response to things that is very different than an adult's response to things for one they're very resilient Two, they, they're much more accepting of what's happening. You know, they're less questioning everything about, you know, if something very weird happens, you know, they're more accepting of it being a possible, a real possibility. And, and also they're, the way they're impacted emotionally to trauma and the things that happen to them is so fascinating because they're so, their emotions are so raw and innocent. And, you know, once you turn that corner of innocence, all that stuff kind of is, is your response to all those kind of things is very different. So when you're writing a child, that's the main thing I focus on is not how would I, re- you know, respond to something happening, but how would a child respond to something happening in- internally, both psychologically, emotionally, you know, intellectually, what would their response be? And, and, I, and I don't, you know, I like Henry, you know, Henry is such a, was such a wonderful character because he has this um, all these childlike char- characteristics, where he's so innocent, and everything that happens to him is such a gut punch because you you you're cheering for the kid, but at the same time he's got like this sort of iron will, you know. He's he's strong and he does stuff that's courageous and brave, and um, partly because he doesn't know any better, is he doesn't you know what I mean? He's not thinking about all the repercussions. He's just. He's just being him, and um, so he's a he's a, was a really fun character to dive into, and you know it's a pretty diverse cast. You know, there's bad guys, there's villains, there's good guys. You know, uh, and but everybody has. I, I like to give all my characters a, a very you know three dimensional casing. You know, the villains are not always bad people. They're not all, I mean, they're bad people, but they're not, you know, bad people through and through. And I try and emphasize little, li- you know, silver linings about every character, even if it's a, a horrible villain, a murderer, because I want the reader to really connect with them and see how they maybe got where they've, where they've gotten to in life. And, and the heroes, you know, are also flawed, you know, just like real people are. And, um, so I really, I do, I get very invested in my characters, and I really want to make sure that they're living and breathing so that, because they carry the story. Ultimately, I don't carry the story as the writer. The characters carry the story. I'm just telling the reader what's happening. You know what I mean? So the characters are the ones who are living it. When, when you're writing these characters, do you have, I guess, an inner monologue in your in your head, in your mind? Can can you hear Henry? Can you hear other characters? Do you hear the prose? How do you experience that? Well, I think partly just because of the way I'm wired and also partly because of my screenwriting experience, I think very visually, which, mm. um, so 
um, my which 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 plays into my descriptions of things. But I'm very, um, but I also with characters. To your point, I I write what I see and I write what I hear, and so I do have these little plays going on in my head where I can see and hear, you know, what the characters are saying. And yeah, they all have very unique voices. They all speak differently. You know, one guy in this book is Australian. Uh, you know, one guy is, has, you know, spent a large portion of his life in prison and grew up in a poor economic situation prior to that. Henry is still young, so he has his own kind of unique voice. Henry's guardian is a lawyer with, you know, an affluent background. So he, so everyone has their own, you know, their own way of speaking, their own history uh, that ties into how they how they speak um, and how they act. So, yeah, but for, to answer your question directly, yeah, I definitely hear them, the voices in my head. And when you're writing screenplays, so much of what you're writing is, the dialogue is such a huge part of what you're writing. And... So I, you have to kind of like really kind of get, hone that skill of listening to people talk in your head and, and writing the way they're talking, both like their mannerisms, they, their tics, um, the, you know, the words they use, you know, how they, without getting too over the top about it because you don't want to distract the reader. You want it to seem very natural. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's something that I, I've, I've just kind of like is a, is a skill I either had or have, you know, developed, but... But that's something that um, is the that's the way I have to do it. Is I have to visualize everything and then kind of write what I what I see. That, and I'll add to that something that I do a lot of, which I have learned, which has become some, a skill that I've developed reading a lot of other writers and kind of that kind of stuff. Is I try to be very visceral with my prose and with my situations. I you know I subtly you wouldn't notice it unless I pointed it out most likely, but I. I uh, I refer to way maybe something the texture of something feels or how something smells or what it sounds like in this in this room or little things like that can really draw a reader's imagination into the scene and um, and so I try to kind of implement a lot of that throughout my work as well because I really want readers to feel the impact of of what they're reading if somebody's hurt I want them to feel that hurt if you know they're if the car hits a wall I want them to feel the impact of that so. So I try to kind of do that as well. So I'm kind of all sensory mode when I'm writing. So have you been hearing these voices a lot in your head? <laughs> well, <laughs> and you, and you, you know, do they tell you to do things? You don't, you know, you're not doing this while you're driving, are you, or anything? You know, you don't wake up in the middle of the night with a shovel by by the bed, do you? The key is to know which voices to listen to and which voices to ignore. That's the key. Uh, <laughs> and to make sure you never answer them out loud. That's the other thing I've learned. Well, you could walk around in the mall and nobody would notice. Yeah, nowadays with the earbuds and everything, you never know. I never know if somebody's crazy or like on the phone. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I want to stay home. I just don't want to go out anymore. I'm getting old. It's terrible. Anyway. Um, well, that's it's, it's kind of an interesting process. So do, do your... Um, when you're when you're kind of covering this and you and you're you're really kind of getting into the describing you know the the situation like maybe the smells the taste the, you could feel the the crash in the wall the thud you know you're kind of getting into all this stuff like this what's your writing process like do you sort of have to be isolated alone in a in a, in a room somewhere or in a basement and nobody around or can you do it with lots of activity going on um I would say I certainly favor 
uh, you know, the former. I, I like definitely being secluded. I like being in my, you know, my office and, um, you know, with the, with the, you know, with the creepy, <laughs> usually some sort of creepy soundtrack on or some music or classical music or something that fits the mood of what I'm writing. Um, nothing with vocals. I can't do vocals and write at the same time. Um, so no, I, I do like to be isolated. I, um, and, you know, I think the writing, you know, process changes depending on what I'm writing. So for example, if I'm, if I'm writing, um, if I'm writing something uh, like a story or, or maybe even like a screenplay or, or, you know, or even maybe part of a novel, it, some days it's like heavy lifting, right? Like every word feels like you're picking up a stone and moving it to like moving it over, you know, to the other, another patch of land or something. It's like, it's just, it, every word feels like a weight and, and you just have to like, you have to just be determined to keep going and keep plowing through and keep pushing forward. And those days are hard, but you try and get your word count in and you just try and do, do the best you can. And if you need to, the thing that's interesting is you, sometimes when you're writing like that and, and it, the, when you're, when it's going that way, you feel like, oh my God, this is so slow. And I'm just like, I can't, you know, this is, and, um, and this process is taking such a long time and I, it's got to read so boring. And then you read it and you realize it actually sounds pretty good because, you know, you, the reader doesn't know how, long it took you to write a sentence you know they just you know they're reading the same pace as they read everything else so um so sometimes it's kind of a it's kind of fascinating to me that sometimes the hardest things to write are the things that read the easiest um but when i'm when i'm neck deep in a novel or a scene um sometimes it gets a little like uh where it's you know i'm i'm locked in you know, pretty good. And I will be just, I'll kind of just write straight for, you know, three, four hours. And, um, you know, I've had, I've been writing and had my, you know, wife walk into my office and I'm, she's like, you know, God, how can you be in here? It's like a hundred degrees. And I'll be like, you know, sweating and, you know, like my jaw clenched and, you know, and, and staring at the, you know, at the monitor like a madman because you just, you get carried away. Um, and those are the best moments, you know, those are the great moments when, you know, I wrote a novel called, uh, Boys in the Valley that's coming out next June and, or sorry, next July. And, um, and I wrote the last 10,000 words of that novel in like one sitting. Um, I just was feverish about it. And, uh, it's a great feeling. It, you end up doing a lot of rewriting <laughs> when, when you write like that, but, um, but that's but yeah so it kind of it kind of varies uh depending on you know how the how the flow is going that day but um but I try and make sure I get some time definitely uh in either way so that I get I get to make some progress mm. your wife is still alive <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean well, you know yeah yeah I well. my poor wife I mean I can't you know writers wives and husbands are mm. you know angels from heaven because we are not an easy bunch to, you know writers are not an easy bunch to live with we're overly sensitive we we're you know we're we're cynical we're depressed we're anxious all the time you know <laughs> we live in our heads a lot and uh god bless them you know they they're always my wife is very supportive thank goodness i i wonder now so when you say you you've really um big on the outline and being structured yeah. but you seem to have moments or even hours where you get into the story in your head and you're writing and stuff so when it comes to writing the story do you have to be in a certain mood does it have to strike you at the right time 
or do you, do you, I mean, because can you plan this? Can you just go, okay, well, you know, I, all next week there's nobody here at the house. I can, I can write all day and all this. Or does that work for you? Um, no, for sure. I definitely have moments where I'm planning ahead. Um, and, you know, that's part of what, what I was saying earlier when I was saying that I over-structure or I over-outline is so that I can have those moments where I can just write and write and write. Because I don't need to, you know, I, I don't like having to worry about the story, which sounds a little odd. But when I'm writing, I like to worry about telling the story. And um, so that allows me to have those kind of moments where I can just go, go, go. Like, can you just, uh, can you just plan your day and say, okay, well, well, tomorrow I'm going to write from 9 to 5. There's nobody here. House is quiet. You know, wife's out having an affair, whatever. And can you just sort of sit down and write at that lot at time? Or when you sit down, if you're not in the, in, in the mood to write, can you still write? And that's a, yeah. And so what I was, I do plan ahead. So for, for instance, if I know I have a big, you know, set piece coming up or a big scene coming up, you know, and I'm kind of at the end of my rope, where I've been writing all day and I may be a little tired and I'm worn out, um, I'll hold it off for another day. I'll be like, I'm going to hit this and you know, hit the ground running tomorrow, and tomorrow's going to be the day I like write this big scene because I know it's going to take me, you know, a you know chunk of time to get it all down. I don't want to have to stop midstream. I just want to kind of get it all out at once. And yeah, like there's um, sometimes when I have a big project, like uh, for example, um, I'm going to the, uh, going to a convention. In New Orleans, uh, at the end of the at the beginning of November, and and I'm taking a week. I owe, I owe this big outline to my publisher for a book that I haven't written yet, and but I sold them, and I and I really need to focus on it. I I just need to get away from everything because I have so many other little projects, and there's things that just come up at home, as you know everyone knows, and so I'm just taking a week after this convention. I'm going to like Mississippi. I'm staying in this. My friend owns this old you know, house in Mississippi that he, you know, only stays in a couple of times a year that's empty. And I'm just going to stay in this big old spooky house for a week and, um, and, and write, you know, focus on outlining this next novel. So, because I want, because that's, so yeah, you definitely have to do that if, you know, if you have the means and, and the luxury to do those kind of things. I know writers who, you know, go to hotels for three days or four days or a week to, if they really need to focus on, hitting a deadline or something. So, yeah, I'm, the answer is yes on both fronts. Sometimes I, I plan my writing days for sure. If I know I have a big scene coming up or if I'm near the end of a novel, um, I definitely don't want – I want to have a full day uninterrupted because I don't want to stop until I'm done. And, uh, and yeah, and then when I have these giant projects, it's, it's good to be able to totally separate yourself from everything else and just, you know, isolate yourself and focus on that one thing, you know, 24-7 without interruption. Well, you say you know you're very structured with outlines and such when it, when it comes to the novel. Do your characters ever take over? Do they ever go off the rails? Do they do they kind of take the plot with them, or um, do you feel like you're you're in control because of that structure? I like to think I'm in control, but it does happen. It I I wrote a novel called The Blue Butterfly and. That's my agent is currently you know trying to find a home for, and it's a thriller. And I outlined this book to like it's a mystery thriller with like kind of um, time travel elements. So it's the structure is incredibly complex, 
and I had never really written a true mystery before, you know, where you had to, like, seed certain things. You have to have red herrings. You have to have misdirection and all that kind of stuff, right? And so you really got to have the whole thing, in my mind, for me as a you know, I'm sure there's some writers that can do it, you know, on the on the fly. But for me, I wanted to have everything laid out because I wanted to know where to drop those little seeds and those little moments or whatever. And so this was an incredibly complex story that I was telling. And I would say about halfway through, maybe a little past halfway through, I was writing a scene, and the main character did something that took the story not in a completely different direction, but definitely, you know, veered hard right. And I was like, what are you doing? I was so, I was so, I mean, I was, I was literally angry. I, to the point where I, when I was done writing that scene, I went downstairs and my kid was sitting there, you know, having dinner. And I was like, you guys won't believe what just happened. She totally screwed up my book. And, and I had to spend the next day, um, like refiguring out a bunch of stuff, you know, between that point and the end of the book and kind of re, you know, redoing the, the outline to a degree. So, yeah, so it definitely happens. And I didn't, I didn't, as a writer, I didn't step in and say, oh, no, 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 get, no, get back over here. This is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I said, all right, if that's what we're doing, let's, let's do it. Um, but yeah, so that, that literally happens. And that was the one example, like, probably the only example I can give where it happened to the effect that I was like, I remember feeling, literally angry and frustrated because that, because she did something I didn't want her to do um, and it messed me up. So, but for the most part, um, yeah, I, I, I tend to stick to the outlines. I mean, it gets complicated when you, um, when you sell, you know, when you're working with bigger presses, you know, the big five or whatever, um, mm. and you, and you pre-sell a pitch or, you know, you have to kind of, you have to give, and you don't have the book written, you have to give them an outline and, yeah. and the outline has to be the book. You can't really screw around and and kind of go like, well, I decided to change all this stuff and do something. You know, they want what they they want to you know they want what they paid for. And I and um and I think there's some wiggle room and you can kind of work with your editor or whatever. But for the most part, the outline has to be the book. And um so you can't really play too loose and wild with with that sort of stuff. Um, but but yeah, but for, and for the most part, like I said, the characters tend to tend to do what I would like them to do um, and serve the story. Um, but it has happened where a character has taken over a little bit, yeah. Well, you could always just leave the country, if, if you know, <laughs> forget the publisher. They don't like it too bad. Right. Oh, pay them, well. pay them back their advance. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote a book called Gothic, which is uh, coming out in February, and it's m- more of an old-school horror book, and um, and the main character is a writer, which is very – you're not supposed to do that as a writer. You're not supposed to write books about writers. <laughs> it's very frowned upon, uh, but I did it anyway because whatever. And um, and uh, anyway, he has this, he has that exact issue where he turns in, in – his, in his case, he turns in a book that was not what they had agreed to, and, uh, and chaos ensues. But there's like a possessed desk and – a ghost and all this other stuff. So, but that's <laughs> so nobody really cares about that stuff. But anyway, that's all. And but it was uh, it does happen. Were you high then too? Or <laughs> no, <laughs> no, the no the the possessed no the no. I don't know where I came up with the idea of a possessed desk, but um, it's a pretty wild story. Well, do you have a fascination with supernatural or or paranormal and that sort of thing? Because it seems to be a a part of what you do a lot, and um, is there some experiences you've had, or where does that come from? Well, you, you know, it's it's interesting because 
I really love writing stuff with supernatural elements because it really um, it really takes off the handcuffs. You know, it really takes there are no rules, and the story can go anywhere. And I I love that. I love that a story can go literally anywhere. Um, you know, I wrote when I first wrote Child Alone with Strangers, and this is two agents ago. Um, you know, he wanted me to write it to take out all the supernatural stuff and just make it a crime novel because he's like, look, this is a great crime novel, but why do you need all this crazy monsters in the woods and telepathic kids and all this stuff? And I'm like, because that's the fun part. That's what makes the story wild, and that's what makes it unexpected. And and for me as a writer, it's what I, you know, I want to enjoy what I'm writing as much as I want the reader to enjoy what they're reading, you know? So uh, I got to have fun with it too. So I, but I love the idea of writing horror because, and stuff with supernatural, because like I said, it can, it lets you go anywhere and do anything. Anything can happen to the characters. Anything can happen to that world. And, um, and for me, that's what really, like just the sandbox is, you know, eternal. And, uh, and so that for me is why I'm drawn to it. I, I, I don't necessarily, I don't like, you know, being restricted by reality. Um, now that said, I've written books that are very much restricted by reality and that deal with very real human everyday issues. Um, but when I write genre fiction, um, yeah, I'd like to just kind of like really go go crazy with it and and you know and everything has to serve the story, obviously. But I think people like it when you surprise them, right? I mean, we're at a point where we're also saturated with stories, you know, with streaming and, you know, books and podcasts and, and all this stuff. And, um, and it's so hard to come up with something original. So you want to just have an original voice, but you're, you're telling a story that's been told before. And I don't, you know, shy away from that. You know, you're telling it in your own way. This is a Philip Fercasi version of this story or whatever. But, um, I think people like to be surprised and like, they like to be caught off guard. And, um, and I think that's part of the fun of reading a horror book. Well, I'm wondering, how, how did you get involved with uh, the horror community? Um, you know, I, I found the old Shocklines forum way back in, like, the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, how, how did it happen for you? Well, the horror community is an interesting community, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> for, a lot of different, for a lot of different reasons. But, um, but I don't want to get sidetracked. But So I'll say this. When I got, the way I got involved was when I, I really wasn't involved until I started writing. You know, I, I wasn't... Um, I wasn't really in that deep, you know, I was reading horror novels, sure, but I wasn't really, you know, um, you know, deep into like communicating with writers or, you know, that kind of thing and, um, or other, you know, other readers in the communities or anything like that. So, but when I started writing, you know, you want to connect with, with other people who have been there and done that. And for me, the way it started was I was actually screen, you know, this is during my screenwriting years. And I reached out to a horror author because I wanted to option one of his stories for a screenplay. Uh, got, uh, a guy named Laird Barron, who's an unbelievable horror writer and crime writer. He wrote he wrote a crime trilogy for um, Putnam. Um, and and through the course of him and I communicating and communicating with his representatives about optioning this novella, um, you know, we kind of became friendly. And when I wrote my first story that I mentioned earlier, Mother, I had sent it to him. I said, hey, what do you think of this? You know, it's my first kind of sh shot at the genre. And he called me like, you know, a couple weeks later and, and we were on the phone for an hour and he was just saying, dude, you got to, this is great. Like, you can do this. You got it. This is a publishable story and, you know, this is something you need to keep keep doing. And I was blown away. I was expecting him to say, don't, you know, 
don't give up the day job. Um, and I still had like all my notes. And then he, and then he started, and then he proceeded to tear the story apart in, a, in all the best ways, right? Offering mm. criticism and feedback. And, and I still have like all my notes, you know, from that, from that. And I take all that stuff very much to heart because he's a professional. He's been doing it. He's, you know, he's respected. And, and I'm not a, I'm not one who shies away from, from criticism and critique. I love it. If you can tell me something that's going to make my story better, I want to hear it. You know, I, I decide what, goes in and what goes out. So ultimately, all that feedback is sorted through, and I pick the stuff that I agree with, and I discard the stuff I don't, but I never shy away from feedback. But so I, I came friendly with Laird, and then I published a couple stories, and that's when I started getting into the community. I, I went to um, I went to like a convention just to kind of shake hands and mill around, and I had my little, you know, I had my little uh, <laughs> chat book with me, and I was kind of handing it out to people, and I had no idea what I was doing. And, and um but that's really how, and then I started going kind of, and then I started communicating more with writers online and kind of get the social media thing going. And, and it's been, you know, seven years now since I really started writing for genre, you know, for horror genre. And, uh, and I've gone to, you know, a handful of conventions since then. And I've become very friendly with so many writers. Um, and it's a wonderful community. The readers are so, um, you know, they're just, they're so into it. And there's, and the writers are so, friendly and warm in this community and so supportive. You know, the, the one thing I was going to say about the horror community is I, you know, I, I write, I write um, guest columns for uh, a website called Book and Film Globe. And, um, and the editor is a guy named Neil Pollack who's written a bunch of books. And, mm. and he told me, you know, he, I started writing horror stuff for him and, you know, um, interview pieces and, and reviews and stuff like that. And he sort of got, and he was very unfamiliar with the community and, and he, made a point to tell me at one point, you know, he emailed me and he's like, it's so uh, refreshing to see, to hear these, you know, things you're doing, these interviews you're doing and to see how the horror community supports each other. He goes, you don't see that in other <laughs> writing communities. He goes, trust me, I know. And it can be cutthroat. And um, so I like to think that for whatever reason, uh, you know, horror is kind of like an open community. We're all very supportive of each other. Maybe it's because we're kind of like the, you know, we're sort of the black sheep of the family, you know. We're sort of the redheaded stepchild, <laughs> as it were. And I think so. I think we kind of like band together out of unity. Um, and uh, but yeah, so it's, it's it's a really great community of writers and readers. And and uh, I, I I've, I've I've had such a great experience with with everybody. So it's been a blessing. And and I've had met people who have really helped me out. You know, helped me not just with the writing, but understanding publishing, understanding how to be a professional, understanding etiquette. And um, and I listen to all that stuff. I take it all in because I, you know, uh, I really strive to be like a professional writer, and I want to present myself well. Um, and um, so yeah, so it's been a real learning curve, um, and uh, but it's been a, it's been an incredible ride. When someone takes home your book, reads it, um, what do you hope they take away from the book? I mean, besides the entertainment value or the suspense and horror and stuff like that, is there a subtext or is there something else you want people to get? You know, I'm not big into having an agenda with my writing, with my books. I um, I know a lot of writers are. They're very into having an agenda, uh, having a, something they want to say, quote, unquote. And I just want to write the best book possible. And I want it to, to I mean, I, <laughs> I was going to say I wanted them to be entertained, and then you took that out of my answer. So, but, um, you know, I mean. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's fine. I think no. that, I think, well, because sometimes, you know, for me, I mean, I've I've done 28 books, and I think that uh, sometimes I look back, and sometimes there's things that come 
get into the book. They get entered into the story without you knowing it. You know, it's just organic, and you don't realize it until it's done. So it, I'm not saying, I'm not just trying to suggest, okay, listen, um, this is, I have an agenda, I want to talk about whatever, racism, and I'm going to put this. No, not necessarily that, because you can do that. But is there anything maybe organic, or do you see anything that comes out of your books? Well, you know, I was talking to somebody recently, and I, and I was being interviewed by this um woman and she was in the the it was for an educational thing right it was, it was she was a teacher and it was for you know so it was a kind of an it was kind of like an educational focused interview and and she said she said she said you know what do, what would people learn like literally learn by reading your books and i said i don't think they're going to learn anything like i think <laughs> i think i mean <laughs> learn how to, learn how to tie a good knot i don't know and she, what she said was interesting. She was, but you're showing people, you're showing readers people that they may not have ever experienced, and that's learning. And I said, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Showing different walks of life and different experiences and different voices, and you know, they're and they're maybe you know seeing sides of personalities that they may not be familiar with. They may be seeing cultures they're not familiar with. And I think you know, with with my books, I think yeah, that's probably the takeaway. Is I'm trying to give you. Well, first of all, I'm trying to give you, an, frankly, I'm trying to give you an emotional experience. You know, I really, the the best reviews that I get, the ones that really, uh, that I really love seeing are when people talk about the emotional connection they have to my books, which sounds a little funny because I write horror, but, but I, but my, you know, I do, I do like people to feel when they're reading my, my stuff. And, you know, I want them to, I want it to be something that grinds, you know, into the heart and kind of sticks there. And um, more than, and, and on top of just being scary and fun and crazy and, you know, gory and all that stuff. So for me, I think the number one takeaway would be I would really hope that a reader would have an emotional response to a book I wrote or to a story that I wrote. That would be my number one thing. And then, yeah, too, I just, I want them to have fun. I mean, we live in such a dark world, you know, and if you can have two hours or three hours a day or where you're just not thinking about bad stuff or not thinking about problems or the economy or politics and you're just like enjoying a story like that to me is that's that's enough for me that makes me very happy i'm happy you know that's that's more than enough for me to give to give people well the, the um horror fiction boom of uh the 1980s kind of imploded by the mid-90s, and it's, it's taken a long time, uh, I guess, to, to resurface into the mainstream uh, from the underground. Do you feel that horror fiction today is enjoying, enjoying a resurgence? Yeah, I do. I think it's a bit of a golden age, honestly, mm. and I think it has something, I think it's twofold. This gets discussed a lot when I go to these conventions and stuff. And obviously we're all horrors, so we're like, we're in a golden age, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, uh, but because you're sort of isolated. But no, but it, it is. The more people I talk to and the more I see, there's so much, you know, and when you look at, like, bookshelves and bookstores and when you see uh, New York Times reviews and you see those kind of things, you see a lot more horror, you know. And I think it's, yeah. I think the three things that I would say that cause that is, one, you know, I think movie. I think streaming has created such an enormous wealth of content, and so much of it is horror. You know, because yeah. it's frankly it's cheap to make, and you know, because you really just need to get the scares in there. But 
but there people are doing art, art filmmakers are doing really interesting things with horror and i think they're showing viewers consumers that there's there's a wider you know breadth of stuff here than just like the zombies and serial killers there's, there's some really interesting stuff going on in horror and i think that has kicked i think that's kind of carried over to fiction and the other thing is i think that because um how easy it is to publish over the last uh, decade, you know, with, with print-on-demand and Amazon coming out so strong and all that stuff, I think there's so, there, there, was like a, there was a point where it kind of became oversaturated because everybody was publishing every, everything. And, but now it's kind of settled into sort of a groove, but there's a, lot more, there's a lot more voices out there right now. There's more diverse voices, more representation for people who may not have picked up a Stephen King book or a Dean Koontz book, you know, there's, so it's reaching more diverse audiences, which is a huge, huge, huge thing. And then the third thing, which may or may not be true, but it's something I think is in a way, to your point, Alan, the golden age, you know, the, was the 80s, right? And people like me were kids and impressionable kids in the 80s. And now we're all in our 40s and 50s. And I think there are, and so we're kind of that boom in a way, of all the kids that grew up with Stephen King and Dean right. Prince and Clyde Barker and Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and, and The Thing and yeah. all that stuff, Jaws, you know, go on and on. And that was like such a crazy you know, time for horror. And now we're all adults, and we're kind of going back a bit to our roots, and I think we're exploring a lot of those childhood impressions. Um, and I think so that's kind of like, a, I think it's almost like a generational thing would be the short, short way to say that. Um, so that's, but yeah, I do think there's definitely a horror boom right now, and I hope it continues to grow because you know uh, high tide raises all boats, right? So I'm, I love when other writers succeed. I love seeing Barnes and Nobles having horror sections again, which they didn't have for yeah. ever. Um, so it's it's been a really interesting time for sure. Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that movie? Uh, well, I remember Jaws 3D. Jaws 3D is yeah. Yeah, yeah, they had a, no, they had a Jason, part three was 3D. I'm sure. There was a, there all was these a, girls wanted to go to it, so I had to go. There was a 3D boom there for a hot minute, right? Like yeah. Like in the 90s, yep. I think, early 90s. Yeah, it, it, it always has a little spot once in a while, and, you know. So, um, one book, uh, someone that's never heard of you before, which is really, frankly, hard to believe, but... There might be a person out there that doesn't know what, what kind of writer you are. So if you had one book to choose to say, well, read this, and, and you'll get a good impression of, of what kind of a writer I am, which one book would you tell them to read? Um, it sounds like a plug, but it, honestly, it's, it's this novel that's coming out on the 25th of October, A Child Alone with Strangers, because for one thing, it's my first novel. So everything that I have out to date, is either been short story collections or no, or short you know novellas, which is a very short novel or a long short story, depending on how you look at it. Um, and those are all out there. But the reality is, novels and novels are you know mountainous compared to short story collections. They're, they're they're apples and oranges. Short story collections just don't have the reach or the, the you know or the readership of a novel. So I think this novel is a great gateway to my work because it's a big. 600-page crime-horror hybrid. It's a lot of fun, but I think it introduces you to my style of writing, introduces you to my style of storytelling, um, and I think, it's a, I think it's a very solid example of 
you know, the breadth of my other work. You know, it's like there's some stuff that's a little more, you know, on the traditional horror side or on the, you know, the kind of, um, you know, more like uh, the kind of traditional side of horror that you might think about when you think of horror. And then there's some stuff that's more literary, that's more, you know, like a thriller. Um, I've written science fiction. So, you know, I write a lot of different things. So, But I think this is a good example where it kind of encompasses all those different elements of my work to date. So I'd say definitely start with the, this novel. And then I have a couple novels that are primed to come out in the next um, eight or nine months here. So, um, But this is, I think, the best way to start. Well, so how do how do people find Philip? Like, what what kind of information do you want to give out here? Do you have a website, social media? You you surface on apps somewhere, like you know, Grinder or something like that, or what? <laughs> where where do people find Philip Fracassi? Like, you know, give us that information. Well, unfortunately, I don't do TikTok, and I wish to God I did because, man, what a platform! But yeah. I don't dance, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, get your dog. Get your dog and sit on the screen and let him do the work. I have two cats, and if I can just get them to do some, <laughs> if I can get them to do some funny stuff, that might be the way to go. They're not funny cats. They're you know they're they're, they're very serious cats, so they're boring. No, I thank you. A website is the best way. I'm, I have a website is uh, pfrakasi.com, and I'm also on Facebook. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, so you can find me all those places, and you can contact me through my website, or you can reach out to me via any of those social media platforms. I love engaging with readers and talking to folks, so um, those are all good ways to to find me if you want to find me. And my work is everywhere; it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and uh, you know all the usual places. Well, of course, and we'll have everything up on our website so people can find it and find you easily. We'll even put your phone number up. Please, and my That's home it. address. Perfect. Oh, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, give it to you. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. So now the book we've been talking about is A Child Alone with Strangers, a novel. And it's uh, written by our guest, Philip Fricassi. So thank you for coming on the show. Uh, thank you so much, you guys. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.